0: 1 Corinthians 13, as we continue our study of this potentially life-changing chapter. And and I know some people chuckle when I use those words, uh, life-changing, because I say that a lot, huh? They're like, man, you're a dramatic fanatic, huh? You think that every study is life-changing. But I I really do believe uh, that I'm not exaggerating when I say 1 Corinthians, when taken to heart, uh, can actually change your life change your marriage, change your relationship with your children, um, and anyone, really, that God brings into your path. 1 Corinthians 13 is some of the most beautiful words in the Bible, and some would even say that they might be the most powerful words ever penned. You know, and when you look at this chapter, it's why we're slowing down, because it's worthy not only to be viewed, but reviewed, and so we're diving deep in order to discover Lord, am I really a, a loving person? You know, And how can I cultivate that, Lord? How can I investigate that? And so 1 Corinthians 13, I don't know anyone here working on memorizing it. I'm just curious. Anyone? Uh, there are a few. Praise God. I uh, uh, read it over the years, and so I think that helps a lot if you've been studying this. But uh, it's been cool uh, trying to work with my wife, and she's keeping me accountable, and, and just trying to learn it because then when you hide it in your heart, uh, Psalms 119 says, you do it so that you won't sin against God, and so sometimes you find yourself in sticky situations, and since it's there, you know, you're, remem- you're reminded, oh, that's what love is, or that's not loving, and so it helps. I encourage you guys, you can do this. You can hide this in your heart. It really is worthy, you know, and so Um, We've looked already at what I would call an outline to the chapter, the one way you can outline it. Number one, in verses 1 through 3, the preeminence of love or the fundamental of love, how important it is. And then in verses 4 through 8a, we see the features of love or the particulars of love, and we look at all the details. There are 16 things there. And then in verse 8b through 13, we see the permanence of love, how uh, it's forever, you know. It doesn't come and go. It doesn't. It's not something that you fall in, out of, and out of love. No, when it's true love, it's forever, and it will last forever. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to hone in on verse five, but we can't forget the context of the letter. How, you know, it was written to a church, and how the Corinthians were not bearing fruit. They were not caring. They were not sharing. They were carnal, judgmental, prideful, sexually immoral, they were immature, they were selfish, they were divisive, there was litigation, there was inconsideration, they were not generous in their giving, not even willing to share their food in a church setting. And so we can't forget the context, that the context, although applicable to love at any time, is really love in the setting of the church. And it was kind of cool, because I was talking to one sister in between services, and she was telling me that that was really helpful for her to remember. Because sometimes you come to church service, and you might get disappointed with someone, with something they say, or maybe the way they treat you. And you can walk out, and you can be offended. But when you remember that the church is filled with imperfect people, that the church is not a museum for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners when you when you come to church service and you realize that it's not about you know people got to love me i mean yeah praise god if that happens but it's really about how you are called to love them this is what paul is writing in 1st corinthians chapter 13 in the in the church setting cuz you guys know huh that sometimes even in the church it's pretty bad huh you guys ever heard that uh, saying they say that uh, the, the ark, and imagine how much it stunk in the ark when Noah was there with all those animals. Man, well, sometimes it's kind of like that in the, in the church, huh? Even though we're on our way to heaven, it, it can be tough sometimes, and that's why God calls us to love like this. And so, we saw in verses one through three the preeminence of love, and we saw it doesn't matter uh, how great the message, it doesn't matter how great the ministry, it doesn't matter how great the miracle, it doesn't matter how great the martyr. If it's not motivated by love, then what we saw right here, I'm just noisy, life is vanity, and there's a loss of reward in eternity. You see, some people, they're really impressed with the the great things or the big things. But God despises the great things that are done apart from love. He delights in the little things that are. And that's what we're learning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, just like probably every other church, and even today I think it's something we struggle with. You know, you're so impressed. You're so dazzled. You're so, you know, wow, that's so great the way that church does those great big things or what he does or, you know, whatever the case may be. But, but God doesn't see as man sees don't think that just because something is big and dazzling, great message, great miracle, great ministry, great martyr, God looks at the heart. And God says, listen, it's not about that. It's about whether or not the motivation is truly love. You know, what we find is that this is so important that it's the greatest commandment, right, to love God and to love others. And you know the one of the main ways we prove we love God is by loving others right it's the it's the royal law James said in chapter 2 verse 8 and it's really the way that God loves us and so we're just called to love others the same way remember what Jesus said John thirteen thirty four. a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you so you also ought to love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so we need to take it seriously, you guys. Are you a lover? Are you a lover? Do you love your church family? And do you love your spouse, your children, your friends, or maybe that family member who rubs you the wrong way? Do you love them? We have to take this seriously. Otherwise, we'll be guilty of sloppy agape, right? I mean, we guys, we know that... If we all caught the vision, and as I was, again, talking to this one sister, she's this man, so grateful for the word. She's like, man, I want to live that. I want to be a loving person. I want to change. If everyone in the church caught that vision, if everyone in the church had that heart, imagine the impact it would be in the church and then how the church would impact the world. Imagine how it could change everything. Obedience to that one single commandment that Christ has called us to. And that is to love. To love Him. And like I said, I think a large part of loving Him. You say you love Him. You read your Bible. You pray. You you go to church. That's cool. Those spiritual disciplines are very important. But you say you love God and you don't love people and you don't love God. Well, I love people who are nice to me, people who are like me, people who love me. Again, that's what the world does. Our love is different. We have to love those who are unlovely, those that maybe rub us the wrong way. That's where the litmus test of true agape love kicks in. And this can change everything. You know, we are all looking for love. I believe that with all my heart. But I think that we are all wired to be most satisfied when we love. And I think that's important. Remember I told you last week, not where I breathe, I live. But where I love, I live. And I believe that with all my heart. That's how important it is. That's why in verses 1 through 3, really what Paul is giving to us is the preeminence of love. Right? And, and then he moves on to the particulars of love. And so, well, if you're saying how important it is... How can I tell if I'm really a loving person? And what we find in verses 4 through 8a is Paul gives us uh, some particulars. He gives us the features uh, for two reasons. Number one, to stimulate us. And number two, so that we can investigate our own hearts. You know, when we read the the word right here, love suffers long. Love does not envy. You know, uh, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. You know when we read those descriptions then when those temptations come and you know you're not willing to suffer when you're wronged or you're not willing to you know give someone that accolade praise god that they are successful but you get all ugly and jealous and envious when someone else is blessed then then you check your heart see this is how we stimulate it well i'm not going to be like that anymore this is how we investigate it oh that shows i'm not loving Hebrews 10, again, I shared it earlier in verse 24 through 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and, and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I like that passage right there, because what, what the writer to Hebrews is saying is, say, don't stop going to church service. We're living in a world now where, you know, I'll take it and leave it. If it's convenient, I'll go to church service. You know, where in all reality, we need to have the conviction at least, at least Sunday mornings. I'm there unless I can't be. He says, don't stop going to church service because when you do go, you know, you're there to stir up love and good works among the congregation there's this thing that when you're not there it's not the same and what God does is a beautiful thing you know what we have right here the preeminence and the particulars because God wants to bring us to that place where we can look in the mirror and ask ourselves is this me yes or no you know it's difficult to define it's probably easier to describe and the thing I like about this is that this is God describing love this is not some you know guy with a degree or some man you know with a mission or some individual and they say yeah love is this emotional torrent Uh, it comes within and it's euphoric and they tell you all this stuff who cares what he says i want to know what god says about love if that if it was me i would that'd be the first thing i would say yeah love is amazing man because when you when it first starts you can't eat and you lose weight or whatever. I don't know. how You know, remember that feeling? And we think that's love and it's not. That's what we would say. The first thing that God says, look at verse 4. He says, love suffers long. I mean, we're not even willing to suffer at all, much less suffer long. But he says, when you really have love, it, it suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself is not puffed up. We went over that last week. And then in verse 5, he says, love it does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil. See, love does not behave rudely. The Greek word used here is comprised of two Greek words which combine, they speak of a negative schematic or a negative appearance. Uh, the word is askomeneo. And it refers to a behavior that just doesn't belong. It's unbecoming to a believer. It's not the conduct of a Christian. It just doesn't fit those who say they follow Jesus. Love does not behave rudely. And it probably goes beyond our concept of rudeness, but rudeness is is an accurate icon for this word, behavior that is offensive, inconsiderate, impolite, insulting ill-mannered, it can range anywhere from ignoring someone to ruthlessly belittling someone. It happens in our conduct. It can happen in our conversation. You know, you're talking to someone, you interrupt them, you disrupt them. That's, that's rude. You're in their conversation, not listening. That's rude. Love doesn't look down on or talk down to others. And the Corinthians, they, they lacked that love to the point that they were even, you know, rude in their food attitude. I would say that was definitely a rude thing to do. Imagine, you guys have ever gone to a part luck and you got a, people that are up there getting ready to get their food, and you're in line and you're patiently waiting, and someone comes and just cuts in the front, and they go and they get all the best food, and they even get like most of the food. I mean. We have sometimes a rude food attitude, huh? That's the way it is. That's the way the Corinthians were. I mean, they didn't have love. That's why Paul's writing this stuff. He says in 1 Corinthians 11:21, For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. I mean, you guys were there, and you went ahead, and you took the food. And next thing you know, there wasn't enough for them. So all of the, they're hungry, and they're all they have, all they have to do is to drink. They're drunk. You know, they called them love feasts, but they weren't really that. And I think for us as Christians, we can say I love you, it doesn't mean you do. Love is not rude. Secondly, we read here, notice in verse 5, does not seek its own. Other translations say it's not self-seeking. It's not self-serving. It doesn't demand its own way. You know, and I think to me, this is like the epitome of love. It's the perfect description, the precise quality, because I think at the end of the day, we all know that That selfishness is the antithesis of love. That love is not selfish. It's not self-seeking. It's not self-serving. When you really love someone, it's not about what I can get out of it for me. It's like in this relationship, in this responsibility, in this church, not, not what I can get, what you owe me. When you really talk about love, it's what can I give to you. And again, this is why Paul wrote this letter in 1 Corinthians 10:24. He said, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. And that was in the context of not making my brother stumble there in 1 Corinthians 10. And, and when you read that chapter, when you read that passage, you find that the, those personal convictions are not so personal after all. You know, I can't drink, uh, and there's a lot of reasons I can't drink, but especially because I'm a pastor. And there's certain words I, I can't say, probably not even hear. Why? Because I'm a pastor. You know, there's these personal convictions that you know, Paul said, if you just go ahead and demand your right, and you show your biblical grounds that you're okay, whatever drinking or whatever the things may be, the liberty that you have but you make your brother stumble, that personal conviction is not so personal after all. This whole thing about loving others, it's not self-seeking. It has to do with others. And every church and every Christian, we need that revelation, we need that reminder. You know, Corinth was a bad church in one sense. But the Philippians, they were a good church. Paul wrote the same thing to them, really, in Philippians 2 3 through 4. He said, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You know, Galatians 5 is one of the first letters that Paul wrote. In verse 13, he said, For you. Brethren have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so, love, it's not self seeking. It does not sing that song, me, 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 me. You know, it doesn't sing that song, I, I did it my way. No, it, it brings to mind really the words of. President John F. Kennedy who in his 1961 inaugural address, he spoke those famous words. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And and what that was, was a a call to all Americans, you know, to action for a nation, uh, for each individual to do what is right and what's responsible for them to do on behalf of others. And that was true for Americans, and it's also true for Christians, citizens of heaven, who are called to this love, a love that does not seek its own. We just have to base our decisions based on our love for God and our love for others. You know, it's something that we struggle with. You wake up in the morning, and what am I gonna eat? You know, what am I gonna do? What's my schedule for today? Should I work out today? I mean, there's a, all these decisions that start processing. What am I going to read today? And, and how different it would be if you woke up in the morning and how's my wife, first thing, how's my wife doing today? You know, what's she going to eat today? I wonder if she should exercise today. I, I wonder, you know, what her plans are for today. But we're, we're so consumed with ourselves. we struggle. Even me, uh, to be honest, I'll just share with you. I'm on the treadmill yesterday, I'm working out. And in light of this study, and I'm, and I'm asking myself, why am I working out? Why am am I working out? Is it because I want, you know, everyone to see how big my biceps are? Is that what it is? You know, I mean, I don't know. Is it because I want to feel better? Is it because I want to live longer? you know I don't know you really have to check yourself because after work on a Wednesday or a Saturday I can go home and I have a schedule usually yes I'll go home and I'll work out but I'll walk right past my wife or right past my son or right past my daughter and there's hours in the gym maybe Manny why so seriously why Are you doing what you're doing? Well, it's because I want to live longer and healthier for you, Lord. I want to live longer and healthier for them. And maybe that is your motive, and praise God for that. Take care of that body. Be a good steward of your temple, but check your motives deeply. Because sometimes, you know, for the the wrong, everything has to be checked. Lord, am I doing this because I love you? Am I doing this? And like I told you earlier, I really do think there is an order of people that you love. What if you love all those guys out there, all those people that you're ministering to, but you don't love your own spouse? You don't love your own kids? There are priorities in life. And so we have to check our hearts and love. When it's love, it's not self-seeking. That's what Paul is saying right here. Did you know that if you were to look deeply into the eyes of another person, you would see the reflection of yourself? You guys know that, right? And then fortunately, because of the fall of man, we have a tendency to do that, really, to live our lives primarily concerned with how it affects me. Only love can set us free from that torture, that bondage, that misery. Only love can. You know, one of my favorite songs is a song entitled Celebrate You by Stephen Curtis Chapman, wherein he describes this desire he has to love his wife in the right way. And he said this, he said, Every time I look in your eyes, I see the reflections of myself. But this time I want to look deeper and see you and nobody else. So tell me what you think. Tell me what you feel. I want to hear the thunder. I'm so quick to steal. Listen to the dreams you're dreaming and celebrate you. Let me show you what a treasure you are, a priceless gift from heaven to this thankful heart. I want to take this lifetime to celebrate you. I want to celebrate you. And of course, when he sings it, it's much better and adds just that off to it you know i encourage you to check out that song but i think that we have to be so careful you know i mean i could hold and i told you guys before how how awful and it's so cool that there's a sensitivity the holy spirit he brings conviction but sometimes i want to hold my wife's hand because my hands are cold and hers are warm <laughs> and the lord said why are you doing it man you hold her hand because you love her well i guess there's a kind of a double way of, it works out you know but it's motive is so important Paul wrote about this in first Corinthians chapter 4 he said don't judge anything until that day and everything's gonna come to light because it's then at the Bema seat of Christ where every single motive the counsels of the heart will be revealed and so we're talking about the preeminence of love we're talking about the particulars of love And what we see here in verse 5 is that love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. You know, along the words of John F. Kennedy, ask not what your wife can do for you. Ask what you can do for your wife, (laughs) right? Ask not what your child can do. Ask not what your church family can do. Ask what you can do for them. This is the heartbeat of love. It beats for others. It's others Oriented, It is not selfish. It only sees the you in us. You see, all we want is to be loved. I believe that because that's how God wired us. But uh, all we want, the way God wired us, is, is to love. And we need to know that because when we come to that place of really becoming a loving person, doesn't matter how they treat me today, doesn't matter what the attitude is today, doesn't matter how they disrespect me, it doesn't matter, you just love, then when you come to that place, there's this joy that you find that no one can rob you of. You guys remember that acronym? J-O-Y, Jesus, Others, Yourself. Huh. That's how we get the joy. You know, I, I, my heart aches when I think about that meeting I had. And there are, have been numerous meetings, but this one in particular stands out to me of this man who is leaving his wife, leaving his children, leaving his marriage, leaving his church, leaving everything. Why? Because he is not happy. And he's telling me, well, I don't want to live the rest of my life, you know, not being happy. And and I'm, and I'm trying to tell him, that's not how you find happiness. You know, here you are, you'll never be happy trying to make yourself happy. You'll never be happy that way. The only way you'll ever be happy is when you try to make happy those who God happens to bring into your life. You'll be happy when the love of your life your wife is loved by you it'll be happiness on the outside really and joy on the inside man what we find and it's so cool just to really let it sink in love does not behave rudely love does not seek its own it's not self-seeking the third thing you read there in verse five if you'll notice he says love is not provoked Other translations say love is not easily angered or irritable. I mentioned to you that there shouldn't be any such thing as a crabby Christian. You know, are any of you guys here crabby? Easily angered, you would consider yourself irritable you really need to dive into this thing called love. It's so important that we are long-suffering, that we are not easily angered, that we are not crabby Christians. Uh, It's interesting too, like I don't know if you guys ever seen, sometimes you even see it on the news, you'll see it in the television or sometimes, where a person's natural uh, disposition on their face, you're looking at homeboy's face, and he's got a frown on his face. And I'm like, man, you know, so-and-so, Mr. So-and-so smile. You know, but what ends up happening is people they that's their natural disposition. They're they're cranky, they're crabby, they're irritable, they're easily angered. It also takes a little something, and might not even be something, but because they think it's something, they turn into a different person. Listen, my friend, you are far from what God is calling you to be, and this is what He's doing right here. He's calling you to, to this. I want to stir up love in you and and good works, and you're. You know, you're kind of like ready for anything. You know, love is not easily angered. Uh, Proverbs 14, 17 says, A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, not lovingly. James 1, in the NLT, it says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. It's crazy how we can get so angry so quickly when someone cuts us off on the freeway. That's all it takes. And there you are, and you get so mad at them, and then they you know they pass you up and what do you do? You wanna pass them up, right? And so you start weaving in at cars because maybe some of you here are so bad you want to give them the one way sign. It's crazy. Christians do crazy things. And there you are, and you got a Calvary Chapel Almani sticker on your car, right? I mean, you know, whatever, the dove. Why? Because they call it road rage. It's this amazing and when we find you guys, we got to take this to heart. Check your own heart. You know, you'll know it, how how much it takes for you to change. You know, I mean, what happens when you're really walking in the Holy Spirit? When you're really seeking the Lord? When you're rip your heart open and you say, "God, pour it in," is that when you get bumped, outflows love. I don't believe that the fruit of the Spirit is something that you're necessarily gritting at all your life. There might be cases where you have to grunt and work hard, but eventually it comes to a place where it just flows, and that's what we want. Hotheads are usually an indication of a cold heart, right? Lenski said this, love is not embittered or enraged by abuse, wrong, insult, or injury. While love treats others with kindness, consideration, and it in turn receives much of the opposite. Paul's life was full of such experience, especially from the brethren in the flesh who ought to have especially loved him. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12:15, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, The less I am loved. What do they do? They start taking advantage of you. Start walking all over you. Start disrespecting you. And all and you're you're just like man. I better you know just kind of put the brakes on this kindness and this this caring, loving, whatever it might be. And God says, don't do that. Paul said, the the more I love you, the more abundantly I loved you. It's like the less. But that's okay, because that's how it is with God, and that's the love that God's called us to. Which is why the next particular feature of love is so important. We read there in verse 5 that love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked or easily angered, and it thinks no evil. It thinks no evil. And so in, in a general sense, you have to win the war in your mind. Because, you know, you can't, you can't stop a thought from flying by, but you can prevent these thoughts from, you know, that don't belong from dwelling there. Because what I've learned is that, you know, when you're thinking things and thinking things and dwelling on it and feeding that lie, then what ends up happening eventually is it reaches your heart. When, when it's love, it thinks, no. Evil that thought does not belong in my mind because I'm a child of God And it could be so many crazy things it could be some girl some porn it could be Some slander about some sister. It can be anything love thinks no evil right and so there's a general sense but the specific sense is probably more along the lines: is love keeps no record of wrongs because the Greek word is an accounting word, and you know when you're accounting and you're registering things in the ledger, that's the word that's used right here. Love it doesn't do that; it doesn't keep record of wrongs. Warren Wirsby he told a story about a man he knew that actually had a book, and he literally wrote down. <laughs> every time someone did him wrong he was the most miserable man in the world you know lenski talks about how um, some people in polynesia they were natives and they spent most of their time um, fighting that, that's what most of their time was engaged in fighting with each other and they had some uh, uh, ways of, of living they say it's customary for these people in Polynesia in this particular place for them to keep some reminders of their hatred on papers that were suspended from uh, the roof of their huts and they wanted to keep that alive in the memory of their wrongs you know Lenski said in some way many people nurse their wrath to keep it warm and they brood over their wrongs until it's impossible to forget them while well, Christian love has learned the great lesson of forgetting. That's why I thank God that I have a bad memory, man. I I thank God that I did drugs before I was a Christian. Now, I'm not telling you to do drugs, man, but it messed up my brain. And I'm serious. You can ask my wife, my kids. I forget things. I can watch a movie twice and not have a clue what's going to happen the second time around. I mean... We need to make sure that we forget what needs to be forgotten, right? You know, one time someone came up to that missionary, Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary to India uh, for 50 years without a furlough. And an amazing woman. And, and they asked her about this time when someone had done her wrong. And, you know, they were kind of trying to stir it up again. And Amy Carmichael responded by saying, That's funny. I distinctly remember forgetting that. And we do that, huh? I like what she said, you know, because this agape love that we're talking about here, it's so amazing. It's the Calvary love. And she said this. She said, If I say yes, I forgive, but I cannot forget. And though the God who twice a day washes all the sands on all the shores of all the world could not wash away such memories from my mind, then I know nothing of Calvary love. You see, love is not provoked. It it thinks no evil. And I like what Lenski said. He said, it's neither engaged at the moment, nor does it hold a grudge later. That's what happens when you become a loving person. You know, in closing, I know you might look at this and think, man, this is a struggle. How can I do this? And as I mentioned to you earlier, if you're a Christian, just start doing it. You know, just like you learn to run, you you run. You learn to, whatever it is that you're doing, lay down tile, just start doing it, you know? Um, You learn to love just by loving people. Don't follow your heart. Feed it and lead it. If you follow your heart, you'll fall. We have to be like Christ, right? I mean as Christians we just have to do it and you watch what happens as you're disciplining yourself and you're in the word and in prayer with genuine sincerity as you're coming and you're gonna say I'm gonna memorize this not just to know it but to show it and to not just to learn it but to live it not just to read it but to heed it when you have that heart you know God starts changing things and relationships begin to blossom so for those of you who are Christians I I pray that you would just start doing it maybe start with the one that who's the unloveliest of all I don't know God will show you how to do that but if you're here and you're not a Christian you you just can't you can't do this until you are saved I mean we could take today's uh, verse as a self-examination and find ourselves in all honesty to be rude are you rude are you selfish Are you easily angered? Are you bitter? Are you resentful? Are you unforgiving? Then you know what? You might not be a Christian. Oh, manny, but I went to church and I got baptized. I got baptized. Well, there's going to be a lot of baptized people in hell. Baptism doesn't save you. When you surrender your life to the love and lordship of Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about a religion. I'm not talking about in your head. I'm talking about in your heart. When you bow the knee and confess with your lips and you believe in your heart, when that happens, only then will you be saved. C.H. Spurgeon said, uh, uh, "If, if uh, uh, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. And that's why you have to, you look at stuff like this, and you're like, okay, I'm not even anywhere near that. Maybe I don't know the Lord. Well, then God has called you here today that he might give you life. You know, God is love, but his overriding attribute is holiness. And God in his holiness, he cannot allow sin into heaven. And that creates a serious problem because all of us have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God we've all sinned and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death we've all sinned we are all infected with this virus of sin we were all born with it and and the wages of sin is death not just physical death eternal death spiritual death yes there is a place called hell there is a place called the lake of fire you need to know the truth but You also need to know that there's a place called heaven for everyone and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. It's up to you, with or without God, heaven or hell. You choose, if you don't know him, if you're not certain that you're saved, our prayer is that you would cry out to God today and you would truly, honestly, wholeheartedly receive Jesus Christ as your Lord.